All right, we're back. We're back. This time we're back. We're back, baby. We were talking about Matthew. Guess who's back in the house? Patrick and Rochelle's back in the house. We were we were talking about Matthew Paul Deddy, uh, who has a home named after him, who people want it changed. I don't. Did Did you hear any reason in what I told you so far to have it changed? I mean, he was a white man in the early. Is that the nineteenth century? I yeah yeah. You jump ahead in the early nineteenth century. Um, in America. In America. So probably cancelable on site. Yeah. Honestly. Granted, he was a hard worker who went through school while apprenticing you know as a blacksmith. worked hard? Hitler. Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman. But, but, right. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the worst version of that handshaking meme. Harriet Tubman, <laughs> Hitler, worked hard. I oh. just like the idea. On a scale of Harriet Tubman to Hitler, where who, who, how are we dealing with this person? So far in the middle is what we're saying. Vibe check, folks. Vibe check. <laughs> so, um, but he's gotten to Oregon, um, and we talked specifically about um, the push that was to get more white people spread out and working really hard so that the people in charge could keep on ruling without them raising a fuss because they're too busy making their farms and stuff. The uh, thing I forgot to mention is that you are correct in that these provisional governments don't have much in the way of laws. It's very ad hoc. Would you say they're pretty similar to like the sovereignty and uh, ruling ability of like D.C. or like other territories like... I think a modern day equivalent would be like much Guam and all those other places. Not like it's. I don't. We don't have an like like on paper that would be an equivalent. How how they are, but it's much more of a state of like. I'm going to explain the landscape in a minute and, okay. and and the peoples that are already there, the indigenous people. Okay. Okay. But the 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 people that are showing up are. Really, the closest approximation I have is the previous colonies. Like, it's Colonizer version 2.0, where you're not sending... The, the The main difference is the richest of the rich haven't arrived yet in these areas. So what you're getting is middle-class people and lower trying to figure out the pecking order amongst themselves. Okay. And in, in the areas that aren't designated cities, so in uh, weird little factoid, Portland was initially not considered to be that big a deal because Fort Vancouver dominated the area more. Oregon City was considered that like they thought it was going to be the big city and the state capital. So that mm. that was why it got named Oregon City was because it was going to be like that's so boring though. I know it's so, but it's also kind of cute to me that they're like Oregon City, Oregon. We're gonna we're gonna name the capital and the city because nowhere else. New York's capital is Albany. Like no, no place else. Yeah, doubles I don't think down. any others do. But yeah, it's so boring. I don't know. What's the origin of the name Oregon? Um. Oh, you know, I don't know. We'll have Are to you do, serious? I don't know off the top of my head. Are I, you? I feel like it has to do with a native word that we just butchered, but I'm not yeah. sure. Okay. Um. So just a little surprised right now, Patrick. Yeah, we're gonna keep that part out. We're a little just bit gonna, betrayed. I'm sorry. I don't know everything. Actually, no. We'll keep it in because I don't want to seem like I know everything. So I, I mean, don't. what's better though is that Idaho is just made up. It's just made up. Oh, there's no origin to that word whatsoever. Oh. It's just letters. Oh, that's great. It's great. What are the letters for? Nothing. It just they just like oh, that sounds cool. Like 
Montana obviously is the Spanish word for mountains. Oh, I thought it was named like, after Joe French Montana. Too. I thought I Ugh, thought he go fuck yourself, Patrick. Um, but when Montana was becoming a state, it was they were like, "What about Idaho?" And everyone's like, "No, that's ridiculous." And then Idaho became it, and now Idaho is the worst. It's the it's the only state right now that doesn't have medical marijuana I in like the P and W. I did not know that actually. It is surrounded yeah. by legal, like at least medical. But that's that's how you that we we'll, we're gonna get into how that gets established actually a little bit in the second half. I think a little bit of oh, how... and also Eastern Oregon and Idaho want to become one, which is hilarious. Yeah, they want to. That's coming up in the next part a little bit. Actually, bye. Okay. <laughs> okay. So so the. Territory as a, man, I lost the train of thought there. But no, you're it was fine. all my fault too. The, the territory, <laughs> the territory that he's arriving in, is not like the the physical territory isn't the same. Um, in that there's so much trees here, it's insane. And I know we think we're like a green city now, but the a green area, but the the environment sh- would have been classified and was classified as a temperate rainforest. Like, we, we operate with so much cloud cover and rain that it was incessant in the last few years, especially, that has slowed down. The, the area would be described as a temperate rainforest in that, like, not only is there constant rainfall, but there's so much trees and biodiversity. It's, it's not dissimilar from an evergreen Amazon. Like, it's, we just have pine trees instead of whatever trees grow in the Amazon. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know much. Uh, That's fair. So to understand the native people of the land, we need to take a little bit of a step back further from Matthew Deddy uh, in the 1800s. Yeah, you gotta go back a little more. Yeah. So 15,000 years ago... That's only a little bit ago. The Bering Strait froze over. (laughs) And that that is... Here's the thing. The Pacific Northwest was the area first settled by the people that crossed that. Now, this Portland is in the southern tip of that. But I still, I, I, at some point we'll do an episode about the tribes in the Portland region. Uh, I think we could do a fun episode. Fun is a strong word. I th- Interesting episode. About the history of the natives in our area specifically at some point. Uh, and I want to clarify. I know Patrick, I'm, you're body neutral. You need to be trauma neutral too. I, I also want to <laughs> clarify. I know I'm talking about a lot of these things past tense. But these are living people. One of my former wives is is from one of the tribes I mentioned. I was like, "Oh crap, this is awkward." But I'm still gonna. Is this when you say, "Hey, I'm not racist. I was married to insert ethnicity." Yes, I actually married okay. a person of every. That makes a lot of sense. That one crazy sense. weekend in Vegas, I married a bunch of people. Well, and honestly, that's a really good thing to bring up, and I, I want to do the sidetrack specifically yeah. because uh, there was that podcast, last podcast on the left. They did one where they were talking about Native American people, and they seem to not even be thinking about the fact that they exist now, and were making super offensive jokes and, like, really gross shit. Yeah. And, like, when I grew up in Montana, which has a very heavy uh, Native American population, a lot of different reservations, a lot of different um, uh, locations where those folks live. And so, like, I knew that they still exist, but unfortunately, the way our education system frames it a lot of the time, like, my niece is part Native American. She came home to her ma- her dad and was like, hey, dad, when you were a kid, do you use berries for crayons and live in a teepee? 
<laughs> so like yeah and we're not that we, the the messed up thing is i'm starting fifteen thousand years ago but when Deddy shows up in the 1800s we've only been there really like two generations of people and 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 you're correct that there the the trauma of that was maybe Deddy is like four generations five six generations removed from us so yep. parents grandparents great-grandparents great-great-grandparents Great, great, great grandparents. Like it's not. It's not that far off. Yeah. So it's, and we pre- we pretend like it is because our frame of reference is obviously fairly short. People only have like a ten year attention span. So, one hundred and fifty years ago, yeah, it seems like a fairly big deal, but it's not. And in in a geological sense, fifteen thousand years ago isn't that different. The first people that settled here. Scientists have some debate as to whether or not they actually came across the physical Bering Strait itself or if they boated across and just used the fact that there was, like, a place that they could dock at night to their advantage. But, I mean, I say why not both? I envision two tribes of people racing one by land, one by sea, whoever makes it to Seattle first wins. Um, that's yeah. That's how I picture ancient history went. Yeah. Um, oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So, but, but what happens is the the Pacific Northwest is the first place after all that tundra and cold that you can settle. And from here on out, people move further south. But the first place settled is places like um, the, the, the southern edge of Alaska as it curves into British Columbia down into Washington and definitely into Oregon, right? Like Portland is, like I said, kind of the southern end of all this. And the societies themselves, they include tribes like the Tlingit, the Haida, um, the Chinook. In our area, like I said, there was the Cowlitz, the Clackamas, and currently um, tribes identifying as the Confederate tribes of the Grand Rodé and the Confederate tribes of the Silat Indians. But they all have, and there's probably Chinook in that area as well. Um, and, and Chinook is also a language they spoke. They have, they have a vast network of trade between all of these tribes throughout the Pacific Northwest and potentially further east and whatnot. Um, but uh, uh, they have a trade language specifically for trade, like a universal translator language. So you Was s- it sign or was it spoken? Because um, I, I know there was some sign stuff. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. It might have been both. Okay. Um. I what what I do understand is that what would happen is it wasn't it wasn't perfect, obviously, but the translation allowed it so that somebody from northern Alaska could find themselves, or, or from the edge of Alaska could find themselves <laughs> in you know Vancouver territory and be able to communicate effectively with the people there, and then other other tribal networks and confederacies and whatnot, other regions, because that's really it's it's not an accurate breakdown but most kind of tribal civilization styles broke down by geological region and and that's not a hundred percent accurate there were all kinds of different individual tribes so i'm not i'm not being very just and fair i do want i am intentionally glossing over the idea is that they are they are dramatically different from the people who will show up Right, and they they very much live off of the land and in relation to the land. So um, a lot of long wooden uh, longhouses, they're called, 
um, that can sit uh, suit mul- uh, multiple families. I'm thank assuming. You. Yeah, that can sit multiple families inside of them. They also have like communal buildings for big festivals and whatnot. And different tribes also do it different ways. Some tribes are more nomadic. Uh, there, there's a great documentary. I will link it into the the sources or whatever. I'll put sources on Patreon. Maybe I haven't figured out how to do that. But there's a great BBC documentary that I watched that's all about this. And the guy shows um, the, that thing you were talking about. About, about how the uh, various environs feed on each other. So one of the, the earliest things they had would be these clam gardens. So they'd create these kind of depots in the bay where it was easier for clams to flourish. But at the same time, certain kinds of seaweed are going to go there. You can grow edible seaweed, so you've also got seaweed that helps keep the clam a little bit safe from certain predators. Certain fish are going to want to feed on that seaweed as well, or otters. So you've got like a You've got a buffet if you do the work, and you've got it all set up so that it's kind of constantly renewing itself. All you have to do is show up, get the food, which means... And you need to harvest responsibly as well. Yeah, and and it's easy to romanticize um, the people of this era because it sounds so beatific and beautiful. But there is there are darker sides. For example, a lot of the tribes practice slavery. Right, but slavery wasn't the same as Americans would come to know it. Americans practice what we call chattel slavery, which, in its very basic terms, is you're not a person; you are an object. No, no rights, no say in things. If you have children, your children continue that in per- perpetuity. That was the really unique, the just the real innovation to America slavery. You were grossed out about saying business words earlier. I just wanted to say synergy. Yes, yeah, no, it's see vomit a little. The the synergy of American slavery is that they figure out if you keep the kids, you that's your property too, and hence you, a lot of that 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 would in business terms incentivize you to make sure that you continue to have children, even if you force it upon people. Vomit, gross. I hate myself. Slavery isn't like that. <laughs> amongst these tribes is it more like indentured servant a little bit yes because what it is is social hierarchy there's no monetary hierarchy and we'll i'll explain kind of how the society interacts with itself in a in a minute but the your your social standing is super important so where you are in the social ladder is important and being a slave just puts you at the bottom of being a human you're still a person you're just the least important people and have to do all the worst jobs. And there are even stories of people putting themselves into slavery. Uh, among the, like, There's a tradition of like, I like your canoe or I like your house or whatever. If I'm your slave for a year, can I get that? Would it be almost like if you, help, if you show me how to build one and I'll help you build other ones maybe too? Yeah, a little bit of that. And, yeah. it, 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 and it's, there, there is a tradition, there, there is a culture of... Like I said, extensive trade, not just in an oral tradition, and which you can tell with that Chinook, that uh, common language means you're telling your, the same stories to each other in this common language. You're expressing nuanced political ideas that we don't have any real idea of. Another thing about being in a rainforest, it's hard to keep paper records or fossilize things, <laughs> right? Like it's just so damp, the paper's going to molder and fade away, mm-hmm. and it's not primo conditions for fossils other than like around Mount St. Helens, where there will be a sudden geological event, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have time for the bone. Something will eat the bones eventually if you leave it on the ground long enough. 
So because of that... They or have it'll a, just break down because it's in a natural composting area. Yeah, and so you have a strong oral tradition. You also have a strong artistic tradition. A ton, like They're a very artistically motivated society and very proud of that, both uh, in the oral tradition and in woodwork, like making canoes. Totem poles are elaborate stories told in an order and in a way, and you have to be taught... <clears throat> pardon me. You have to be taught by uh, a, an elder how to do them and how to make that. So it's a strict, it's a social, it's a society with a strict social hierarchy, right? Chiefs really matter. People underneath them really matter. They also uh, are devoted artisans. That's what I was saying with the teepees, or not teepees, the totem poles. They don't live in teepees. It's longhouses. Longhouses. Um, the teepees other... tend to be more prairie or grassland. Yeah. What, is prairie the right word? I, I suppose, or, or I don't know. We're, we're the wrong kind of white. They are not a a capital. They're, they're not motivated by the acquisition of goods, as we oftentimes hear ascribed to societies. But uh, they do have extensive trade. They care about things like copper. It's a uh, uh, metal used in a lot of ceremonies. The process of copper smithing is something that's like very sacred and taught. But like ancestral, like apprenticeship style something something mr Deddy, the former blacksmith is obviously going to relate to i guess so is it kind of like masonry or like how do i describe this like you come from you come from a family that does something so likely you're going to take on that skill set as well yeah but it seems like tradition yes but it seems like things are even though there's very uh uh it feels like there's a bit of family mobility in that situation, if that makes sense. So it's not necessarily you have to because you're the son so much as somebody from the family will, because that's what we do. Um, another thing to, another kind of two really important points is that they're not a martial, most of these tribes aren't very warlike. Like they, they can, they kick ass and they fight each other all the time, but it's their, their focus is more on just day-to-day living. And not in that it's a struggle struggle, but more in that it's a continuous work to survive and maintain your environment. So you're in a very real way, you're doing less work, you're just doing it more. So you're really only working like two or three hours a day to make sure the clam wall is reinforced or the copper work is done. But you're doing it every day regardless because it has to be done unless it's a special day or whatever. And well, and it sounds like labor was specifically towards the benefit of the community um, or at least like it doesn't sound like it's profits for profit's sakes or production for production's yeah. sake. And I mean, you and again, like you still have things like slavery in the middle of this. So you have people doing the worst jobs, feeling the worst about them, like, like feeling the worst about themselves. But you have people doing the worst jobs, being put in the worst position still. But they're treated as people still, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. they're 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 just the bottom. What you what the kind of what the documentary I watched uh, that gave me kind of the most succinct understanding of it is. You lose your identity, but you don't lose who you are. So you're no longer in the same place in the social structure, but you're still you, right? So you still have some, I I guess the best way to put it is like, if you get hit, people are going to ask why you got hit, as opposed to in slavery, like in American style slavery, if you got hit, that's just the going course of things. Like, you may not be in control of, uh, of your life in all ways, but at least you're still a human being. Yeah. 
and and the the times they do go to and like i said they're uh, when they do go to war it's often because people are being treated inhumanely they're a very matriarchal society that was the the other big point i wanted to make because uh judaism does a similar thing where they're like we kind of know exactly where babies come from right there's no question who the mom is dad could be anybody so we're gonna follow that bloodline that way and what you'll find is anytime there are wars or battles between tribes or villages it's because somebody some some a woman is mistreated in another village or they don't think that like they were promised better and so the the original village is dishonored by this and goes and fights for her honor or stuff like that okay now the reason the area isn't uh, colonized the same way um the east coast was is it's it's a kind of escalating thing which is one it's really fucking far away from europe to get to Oregon. Yeah, have, that's a distance. Yeah, you have to you have to do one of two really hard things. You have to cross the Atlantic to North America, circumnavigate, uh, go go down North America, past South America. It's not exactly easy water. Go around South America, sail all the way up here, and then go down the Columbia River. And the Columbia River isn't always uh, uh, in a position to let boats in, right? It's it's such a big moving it, and it's affected by the tides. In addition to that, all the European nations are really at war during the the time period that they first start, air quotes, exploring the area. (laughs) So they're so busy fighting the French-Indian War where the the French and Native Americans fight the American colonists and their Native American allies. And that it's just not fiscally reasonable to show up in... Because if you don't go down around South America, you have to go down around Africa, through the Indian Ocean, through the Pacific Ocean. So you have to go through basically like two deserts to get to... Oof. Yeah. So in addition to all the wars and all the distance, there's also not like commodities that they particularly care about. They keep thinking gold is going to be here, but it really only shows up further south. Most of what they get is really decent lumber and a lot of furs. So what they end up setting up is kind of factories that are designed to process the furs that get traded in or process the wood to ship further south or whatever because there are my understanding is british columbia is a bigger colony and as gold gets rich in san francisco the economic boom calls for some of the products from here to be shipped but they're being shipped by like they have to go back down the ocean like back to the columbia through the pacific there's no overland travel at this time yeah, because I mean, the fur trade in Canada had already reached the Pacific. Yeah, but there, so. and and that's that's another thing is the kind of white people that are showing up here are different than the kind of white people that will show up. They're racist for sure. Everybody's racist always. That's just a fact. But the difference is they're much more tolerant. Like they're they're psychos in that they make like fur traders make their living going around and figuring out the best way to kill animals right and and leave the fewest marks or whatever mm-hmm. like they're not uh, they're not what i would consider a friendly people and the other thing <laughs> is as you come into southern oregon right as you go further and we're going to talk about southern oregon in just a sec but as you come from the further the the miners that go north of san francisco the further north you get the more desperate the miners are Wairika, when it's settled, is just like people shoot each other over claims and shit because there's less civilization 
quote unquote laws to be enforced, right? Uh, and America has, uh, we have a bad tradition of letting people get away with whatever they want as long as they agree to do what we say. I know that's a big surprise. So what you're dealing with with the Native Americans that are here, the only white people they really have contact with is the Russians. And Russia as a colonial empire is famously very bad at the job. They can do, like Russia can colonize parts of Europe pretty well, and they can colonize parts of Asia well, but they don't do it well in North America. And a good reason is because the Native Americans fight back very consistently. And when they first show up, there's a lot of confusion about how they're going to interact and how they're going to treat each other because part of the problem is the the translations are oftentimes Russian or English to a person who speaks one kind of native language being translated through Chinook to a person who doesn't speak that language. So it's like a four-way telephone from white person to actual person in the area. Oh, yeah. So this this reminds me kind of of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Yeah. There was like a little exhibit part where it was Sakagawea having to do translating and her husband so that they could go from like English to French to Sakagawea's language to whatever language they had to the one that they're trying to communicate to. It was really lucky that they had her on the expedition because they wouldn't have been able to make it very far Yeah, without her. And... Some of that is going on here. Uh, but the other thing is that as, as the... But less uh, homoerotic? Less homoerotic, yeah. Okay. As, the, as, <laughs> as the centuries march on and white people start popping up more and more, they establish forts, and since they know they can't go to war, they just build fortified positions under the premise of, like, we're just here to trade, man. Like, we're just, we, we just want a, we just want a place to, like, hang out so you guys, because we're not you guys. We don't want to live in your home, like, yet. Like, we want to live on your land. We don't want to live in your home. That would be rude. So the first instance of taking of kind of a, an aggressive colonization in this area is by the Russians in uh, an area in Alaska, and they end up taking over a Tlingit village and um, massacre the people there. There's some sense of they show up kind of in the sense of truth or truce and then start a fight, kill the people, kick them off their lands. And it's a pretty vicious fight where the Tlingit people decide they will fade into the surrounding area because uh, they have tribes around them. You might Each tribe is... Oh, I'm getting way into the weeds on this one. Sorry. Each tribe isn't necessarily a city, but they're oftentimes just family units that, units that are living together, and you can move between kind of tribal bounds and family bounds. So you have other places to be. But this city was like the closest to a metropolis. It was kind of firmly established because it was in, much like Rome, in a fortified position where you had to go up a hill to get it, right? So the Russians set up this claim. Uh, or set up a fort there and like for two or three years think they're hot shit until the clinket come back and we're like nah we were just seeing what you guys were up to we have home team advantage and like massacre all the people there it's a bloody fight it's not very easy but they take back the fort and it starts the pattern of back and forth as far as like occasionally a fort gets set up sometimes they massacre sometimes they don't and since these people the 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 clinket the haida the cowlitz the clackamas all these other tribes aren't unified into they have a culture but they don't have like a nation in the way that we understand it so they don't 
it it's not happening to us it's happening to them over there that's their problem yeah and and there is there is some consideration that like it will happen to us and and they are us let me continue to confuse verb tense but it's not the other thought is that like eventually white people will peter out Right, like especially especially in the Pacific Northwest, because it's so hard to set up territories. Because the the same temperate rainforest that makes it so that it's hard to establish like a written record makes it hard to do the things white people like administrate. Right, so it's hard to keep a written record if you the nature fights you to keep a record because of the weather patterns. Like the the native people are willing to move locations fairly regularly if they need to. Right. Like they're not nomadic, but like if a storm comes and floods out the village, that's fine. Like we move to a different spot. So as they as the white people settle in, they don't settle in the same way the colonizers on the east did. It's much more piecemeal. Uh, But what you have had what you do have happening is refugees of tribes from the east show up and you start to realize like if you're in this situation, you're starting to realize like oh white people are coming from both directions like there we're we're in the middle and at the same time the the native american response further east so like across the great plains and then the east coast and the south the response has been you either sign the treaties and eventually get massacred you go to war and eventually get massacred or you run further west and hope you can be accepted by the native tribes there because eventually white people are gonna fucking give up like they'll have enough land right like they'll they'll have enough right oh god and because of the scarcity like there's no scarcity of resources but there is definitely a sense of this is mine so when people from the east show up native peoples from the east show up there is a lot of initially conflict and then some amount of like well there's plenty of space to go around so you can renegotiate tribal boundaries um so the the last thing i want to touch on uh, about the tribes in the area before i get to kind of the end of the native section is you, you have this pressure of white people showing up and starting to settle and colonize much more in the way they did in the East and mass surrounding each other, fortifying their locations and having whatever the federal government is behind them. Like it's, it's like, you, it's a weird concept. If you don't believe in governments, if somebody just came up to you and was like, so there's this place far away and they'll kill you if you don't do what we say, it's, it's like, okay, cool. And then that guy shoots you anyway. Not anyway, but... Any who's it. Yeah. They have... The other thing they have is the the reason... I think some of the reason why they're kind of welcoming at first is that there's this cultural tradition of things called potlucks, which are big festivals where you share everything. Like, you share in big meals and dance ceremonies and you do religious stuff. But at the end of the night, you give everything away according to your status. So the highest status person, the the way to gain in, in a lot of tribes the most prestige and renown was to end the night with no nothing to your name. Ooh. So you would give away your house, you would give away your canoe, you would give away your really cool weapon, you would give away your really cool clothes. You would give hats were really important because it rains constantly, so you need something. So you give away your really cool hat, uh, but the person you give that gift to is obligated to you to return the favor somehow. So even though you gave it away... You're still getting it back. Yeah. And it's it's an oddly... 
I, I wrote a note for myself that it's an oddly ableist society. Yeah. Because if you are, like, like if you're like me, right, with the three missing vertebrae can't do as much, then you're not going to be as wealthy because you physically can't do as much. But because of this kind of forced generosity, you're never going to go without. So guess what? I'm a good storyteller. That guy's going to be like, all right, Pat's my storyteller. He's going to come to the thing and tell the story in my honor, and I'll get the prestige from Pat. Nice. And and you gain, like I said, they're not they're not a very martial people uh, most of the time, most of these societies. So th- they don't really, they do fight each other, but most of the time, like, their big kind of aggressive male ceremonies are usually, like, big hunts. They, they live off of whales. Killer whales are apex predators in multiple environments planet-wide and these guys get into wooden boats and go fight them like you just sit on a log and fight a whale that's insane to me they're mean too so like killer whales and so it's a big it's a it's a it's a it's a ordeal um that's how they get out their aggression yeah so you don't have to go to war you you show off hey we killed the most whales look at us aren't we the most dope i'm not gonna mess with those guys they can kill the most whales like so is that why my dad put all of the deer antlers from his hunting on the garage, like on the roof? I mean, I mean, a, like a, a sociologist might say so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least they weren't in the house everywhere. So, so what I want to talk about next, uh, before we wrap up the Native American section, is, is this thing called the MODOC War. M-O-D-O-C. O-P-P has a really good documentary. Um, it occurs after... O-P-B, not O-P-P. Oh, O-P-P. Yeah, public right? broadcasting, yeah. Because I was just saying, you know, baby, you know me. So the Modoc War happened from 1872 to 1873, obviously about 15, 20 years after Deddy shows up. Um, and in this environment, the Modoc uh, are further south, but they're in the same region that Deddy ends up occupying, like kind of in Grants Pass and all that. The They live in kind of rocky terrain, plateau-type areas. And what happens is those insane dudes I was telling you about that live in, like, Wairika decide they don't have enough territory. And all this land has been ceded to the north as, like, a reservation for the Modoc tribe. And the, the let me backtrack for a second. The reason I mentioned the natives showing up and uh, it being a conflict uh, for not necessarily resources, but, like, a conflict kind of for space and identity because if you do show up, you're you're either obligated to integrate into a tribe that's not your own. So, like Rochelle, go to Amsterdam and just be Amsterdamish, right? Uh, like go go to France and be French, gross. Because you're white, like you can go do it, right? Yeah, like it's, that's it's, true. And then, or you have to establish a new version of your identity in this place that already has its own. It has its own clam gardens, and you don't grow clams, so you've got to figure out how to. And you have just as much of an obligation to manage resources. Like most most tribes function in this, will manage resources to manage themselves, and all we have to do is keep the machine moving, right? So they want to find a version of that. Um, and the Modoc seemed to be one of these tribes that was a little bit more welcoming of other natives, or at the very least, like more comfortable with people settling in their area. But the problem is, as these natives show up, you start to realize fuck white people like just just no and you start killing them as they show up like you that there's a lot of massacres and assaults and oftentimes what happens is like the psychopaths from Wairika will show up and be like hey we want to negotiate a truce shoot everyone 
right? One or two of them die. They run back to town and they're like, we got massacred. We got attacked by Indians. We were just ambushed. We got to go get them. And then they go on a slaughtering campaign. And the Modoc War starts because, in part, there's like, there's this dude, Captain Jack, who's very important. I'm not going to go into all the details. The end result is that less than 150 warriors hold off a thousand soldiers for nearly a year in a combination of like hit and run tactics, guerrilla tactics, just being more familiar with the terrain, a lot of Sun Tzu shit. Uh, but they're, they're led by this guy uh, named Captain Jack who doesn't, he doesn't even want to be a leader. He's retired from killing white people before he gets dragged into this war because, like I said, they're not a martial uh, people. So, so they, they don't like to kill. Like, like killing is kind of anthema to the human spirit in general. But he, he there, there's an interview in this, this documentary, it's just called The Modoc War, uh, where he's like, I just, I couldn't kill any more white people. And the problem is they keep showing up. You kill them because you think if we make it impossible for you to be here and establish roots and let you know what's up, you're not going to stay. And that that's going to keep people from showing up. But they just kept showing up. As we've already explained, these white people are convinced, A, that it's theirs when they show up, and B, that there's no room for them east. Everything is already being eaten up, namely by the rich or by slaves. Right? Or the cities are getting too civilized in the because of this false notion of Thomas Jefferson bullshit. And what it ends up leaving you with, is the organ that he arrives in, is full of Native people that are at war with us, but really we're trying to commit a genocide against them. And at the same time, white people don't want black people here because they don't want them to gain a common cause with the Native Americans. Because there's also whites showing up to enslave the natives. Because they're like, well, look, we agreed not to enslave them over there. And it says we can have slavery in the Constitution. So why don't we just make slaves of the people here? Oh, my God. And, like, that's the big fear. At the end of the Modoc War, um, little Cliff Notes version of it, they end up losing by surrendering. They don't lose because they're going to lose. They lose because they get combination of... Tired of killing, so there, yeah, I'm tired of fighting. There, there's one uh, ambush where one of the dudes, one of the native dudes from the Modoc tribe, is like, um, "We're going home. We're done killing y'all. Like you can do whatever you want, but we quit killing for the day. We've killed enough. We'd like the war to continue if you're gonna keep it up, but like we've enough of you are dead for our, our comfort for today. We could continue. We're not gonna, but like." Probably should have in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, but they end up, the Modoc end up calling it off because they're... They're just worn out. And they have no resources. Like, you can't farm when you're in siege warfare or in guerrilla tactics. And you don't have... The, the friendly tribes in the area have either been exterminated or run off or are actively fighting against you as well. Or there are no friendly tribes. Like, they've just been killed, right? So white people aren't going to help you. They see you as the enemy. And, and these, these attacks by the natives, by the way, they're not nearly as common as these false flag operations. Oh, of course. Yeah. The false flag operations account for like way, I don't know the exact percentage, but in, in my heart, it's 80%. So <laughs> we're not a historian. And what that means is the, the organ that Deddy arrives in is in the middle of this extermination campaign. It is also struggling with the fact that the rest of the country, all the way on the other side of the Mississippi and the Rockies, is 
definitely getting squaring itself off for a civil war because those two styles of government have been butting heads. The South, like I said, been threatening to succeed secede from the very start. Threatening to succeed. By seceding. They think if they leave, they'll over dominate the northern half. Like and in a weird way they will, because again, slavery being the, the minimum you have to pay somebody means you get to keep all the profits. And so the whites showing up in Oregon are like upper middle class or, or bands of desperate poors. There, there's very few of the wealthy elite because they're doing just fine in, in the yeah, society. they don't need to go anywhere yeah. else. And so these people are scared of the fact that black people might get freed and move here in mass, ally with the natives, and take back the, the land. <sighs> so that's the, that's the Oregon dead he's walking into. I uh, Catch her breath on that one. Uh, boo. When we get back, we're going to talk about secret slaves. Uh, boo, 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 boo.